This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me your questions or comments to mormonawakenings at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Welcome back. Had a good experience this past week. I was able to be on Dan Weatherspoon's Mormon Matters podcast with Mark Crago. We had about a 90-minute discussion about Revelation, the will of the Lord, what it means when our leaders with one voice, unanimity, declare something to be the will of the Lord. It was a great conversation. I want to thank Dan and Mark for the conversation. I want to thank Dan in particular for inviting me on to his excellent podcast. If you have not heard Mormon Matters, I suggest you check it out. It's terrific. And Dan Watherspoon is just an excellent guy. Open, kind, and Mark Crago is too, by the way. He was the other panelist, so I really enjoyed that. I don't know either of those two guys personally. I met them online, via email, Facebook. I've never been in their company. I've spoken to Dan on the phone. I spoke to Mark only during the podcast interview. So I don't know these guys at all. What a weird time to be alive. They can contact me. We can have an interview. It can be published a couple hours later. Heard by thousands of people, a bunch of guys sitting in different parts of the country, talking into mics, and through the power of the worldwide interweb, which is how my 83-year-old mother describes it, the worldwide interweb. But through the power of modern networking technology, we can have a conversation, publish it, and drive forward a collective thought that lives on out in the ethersphere. That is weird and novel. Something that the entire history of humanity has never experienced except during the last 20 years. And really on a broad scale, the last five or 10 years. I don't think it's coincidental, nor do I think it's without its metaphorical meanings. It being the internet, it being this collective repository of thought, of ideas that percolate around inside this cloud. It's incredible. Absolutely fantastic. And if you live 20, 30, 40 years ago, if you live 200 years ago, it would be fantastical, truly otherworldly, space age, futuristic, beyond comprehension. Now, though, today, yesterday, tomorrow, the next couple hours, it's commonplace, right? We take it for granted. Can't imagine life without our smartphones, our internet connections. We can't imagine not being wired to each other. We get impatient when we can't contact someone within an hour or two because we can know what's happening with virtually anyone on the earth at any given time. We can know of any political event, any drama, any catastrophe. I mean, not any, but you know, a a lot, most, almost instantaneously. If you're on Twitter, Facebook, you got your smartphone fired up, you got your tablet, you got a Wi-Fi, boom, you can tap into anything. Suddenly the world seems small and everybody's thoughts seem connected. And they are, of course, until you push the little button on your device. The little button on the side that turns it off. Until and unless you unplug, you will remain inextricably partially controlled by the collective. And it's important to unplug from time to time. Because the collective thoughts of Dasman are not your thoughts. The collective culture is not necessarily healthy. Your ability to act upon every impulse that you have 
or to react to every impulse, every thought, every idea that any other person inside the collective has in real time because you're connected is not normal, nor is it always right. It can be, but not categorically. Mark Zuckerberg is facing questions posed by some of our leaders about just how abnormal, how intrusive, how pervasive, how controlling our technologies, our interconnections, and the companies that run them are. And so while it's neat that I can contact Dan Weatherspoon and Mark Crago on Monday, record a podcast on Tuesday with them, Dan can then the next day publish it at mormonmatters.org, and that 5,000 or more people will download it within the first 48 hours and listen to it, and then start commenting about it. While that's all cool and neat, there's a darker side to all this, which is anybody can contact you. Anybody can insinuate themselves into your lives. And thoughts can be planted, perhaps, by the companies that run this big system. I don't want to start getting paranoid for paranoid's sake, and I'm looking to draw the metaphorical lesson here. And I think the metaphorical lesson for me is that there are forces and powers beyond you that affect you. In the technological sense, those forces and powers are clear. Facebook and Twitter, they're not addictive by accident. In the non-technological world, in the spiritual world, in the mental world, well, there are powers beyond you too that are affecting you, planting ideas even, raising or lowering your energy. About a day after I recorded the Mormon Matters podcast with Dan and Mark, I invited an elderly woman in my ward who I'm assigned to home teach, sorry, that I'm assigned to minister to. I invited this grandmother and her grandson out for dinner to catch up, hear what's going on in their lives. Known her for several years. I've watched her grandson grow up. He's a senior in high school now, getting ready to go to BYU-Idaho. What a tremendous opportunity that is for him to escape one of the tougher neighborhoods of greater Boston. But I took them to dinner the other night. I wanted to catch up with them. And I noticed something strange as I watched them. There was this palpable almost visible energy pulsating between them as if they were almost linked, as if they were almost connected technologically through some sort of network. But there wasn't any technological connection, no electricity, no wires, but nonetheless an an intertwining of their energies. They created like this thing, this being, which was made up of, of, of the vibe of a super ego, something kind of bigger that lived almost independently between them, that fed off their individual energies, yet was somehow separate, different from them. And this vibe, this energy was not always a positive, healthy vibe and energy. This independent third party that had a life of its own, seemingly, was not always happy and upbeat and positive. And it certainly didn't seem to be doing things that were in the interest exclusively of the grandmother and her grandson. It was, as, it was as if this thing was just kind of living and going and blobbing along, feeding off them, driving them. Well, that's weird. Yet we've all had that experience. We're at dinner with somebody. We're at the ward function. We're at the school. And there's kind of this big collective thing, separate from all the individuals, that's kind of living and growing and cruising around, this energy, this vibe, this, this blob this superego, and everybody's kind of plugged into it. 
almost like they're plugged into a big network. And for the grandmother and her grandson, I mean, part of it is that they're family. They're genetically connected. But the bigger thing is that they're human beings like the rest of us. And we all have energies and spirit and light. And our states, our levels of energy affect each other. Thought processes, yours and those of others, can get their hooks inside you. The same way a Twitter feed can, the same way a Facebook post can, the same way your Instagram posts can, Snapchat, whatever you're addicted to, technologically, our spirits likewise emanate an energy, attract or repel others, become entwined, wrapped up the longer we spend time with others. And if those interactions, if those spiritual psychic connections are not healthy, then the collective cloud that surrounds your families, your relationships, your workplace, your friends, that cloud is poisoned. That cloud is affected. That cloud affects you. And in the same way it's good to unplug from your devices, sometimes it's good to detach yourself, to remove yourself from the collective intertwining clouds that you're wrapped up in. In fact, it's better than good. I'm going to go as far as to say it's essential that you withdraw from time to time regularly, maybe as regularly as once or twice a day, and turn inward and get in touch with your own spirit, your own thoughts, your own susceptibilities. Notice them and start to notice the higher being inside you. Replace connections to a group with connections to a higher being, God, the Holy Spirit, the universe, however you want to think about it. Take time to connect with something higher, an energy that vibrates at a higher level, communication at a higher sphere. Then what you can experience here on earth with all the other spirits living in the dark, which is all we're left with if we rely solely on the being stuck on this planet and the various independent clouds of our collective energies that we can produce. You need to break out from time to time, rebel against the law of gravity and look upwards and connect to something beyond you, beyond everyone else walking around. Otherwise, you're just buffeted about like a meat suit, like a marionette with strings attached to who know what, to Dasman, the cloud, this third-party vibe that pulsates between all of us. Even if you're surrounded by good people, you got to step back. You got to learn to breathe. You got to learn to look inward and upward. This sounds like I'm saying you got to learn to meditate. Maybe I am. Others would say, well, it sounds like you're saying I need to pray more. Yeah, I'm saying that. Sounds like I need to read scriptures more. Yeah, I think that's healthy. Or as Tyler Bruff, an episode or two ago suggested, read Zen and the Art of Happiness more. That would be helpful too. But you need a time daily to contemplate, to breathe, to experience something else besides the collective blob in which we're all living, besides what our interactions with others produce. You need to seek something a little higher, purer, stronger, better. An incredible thing happens when you unplug from all the hooks that have been driven into you by the collective clouds, third-party blobs, independent beings that we all seem to create through our associations, through our thoughts, through our unconscious reactions. And that incredible thing is that you realize that you are paradoxically not alone. Oddly, by seeking solitude, you learn that you're not alone. You don't have to just rely on yourself. 
There's some being, some force bigger, stronger than you, bigger, stronger than anyone else on earth who cares about you. Well, that's amazing. That's miraculous. That's powerful. And that's an experience well documented by many of the faith traditions on this earth. And I think Mormonism documents it well, too. There was a bad, ugly, collective vibe going on among Lehi, Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel, and that whole group as they were leaving Jerusalem. Bad, ugly, contentious, competitive. I think if we were able to get into the time machine, fly over Jerusalem, parachute down, land in the middle of camp, we would notice something palpable and ugly, a certain tension, subtle, as subtle as the tension that existed between this woman I minister to and her grandson, nonetheless observable as if it had a life of its own, as if this cloud, this energy had become a third party even, an entity with its own objectives and ends between that group of folks, that group of travelers. And you can gripe about Nephi, call them stubborn, black and white, but the guy left camp every now and then and he went up into the mountain and he prayed. He left effectively unplugged and got away from all that stuff to be alone and try to hear the subtle messages that come through a higher frequency. Sadly, the Book of Mormon doesn't give us much more instruction than that. We don't know what his practice was, Nephi's that is. Did he go and chant? Did he pray like we're taught in primary? Did he burn incense? Did he prepare by carrying up the plates of brass that he got from Laban? I don't know if he did. I mean, that would have reminded him of what happened to Laban, so who knows what his process was? We do know that he left, went up, was alone, went to a place where it was quiet. The pulsations of the group left behind, and he found strength. He found something perceptible, had an experience that he could carry down remember, and focus on when he returned back to the group. He recharged something higher in him that would keep his attention away from the negativity that must have been just pulsating through that camp. He was able to build a boat of curious workmanship, a boat that floated in the ocean. I don't think I could build a boat with my modern power tools, and I have a lot of power tools, by the way. I like power tools. I have saws and nail guns and I can call up the lumber yard and I get a whole pallet of lumber de- delivered to my house, but I couldn't build a boat, certainly not one of curious workmanship, certainly not one that would float. And the lesson, the takeaway from this story is clear. You're going to end up with something in your head that's better, more creative, that takes you to a higher level when you pull yourself away from the bad thoughts of your ego, away from the bad thoughts of the group, away from the negativity of the collective, and try to pay attention to something more powerful, stronger, more full of light than you are right now. You're going to come away with something that you yourself cannot imagine. In Nephi's case, it was a boat and plans for a boat. And it's too bad that we don't understand that process. We don't understand how he received, what senses he used to perceive these messages. I think most of us have had glimpses of it, it being the process of perceiving messages from beyond. We're taught in broad terms inside our community how this works, how the Holy Ghost speaks to us, 
what inspiration means. You know, we throw on terms like the burning of the bosom. I'm not sure how effective of a term that is. Maybe it is. During the podcast I just recorded with Dan Watherspoon and Mark Carrigo on Mormon Matters, Mark talked about knowing in your heart and in your mind. That's helpful to an extent, I think, but still vague. I've read books written by people who claim to perceive things in various parts of their body from beyond. That's, those are interesting. I think there's something to those. Now that I've been on Earth for a few years, I do think the pedagogy of learning this skill is iterative. You know, you kind of do it and do it and do it, and you, through trial and error, you get better at it. It being perceiving guidance, inspiration from beyond. You know, it's kind of like golf. Nobody goes out and shoots a, a par round their first day on the golf course. There's a lot of trial and error, a lot of mishits. But over time, one can figure out which methods work better, given your physiological makeup. Likewise, if you're trying to interact, if you're trying to separate from the collective, to spend a little time in prayer, meditation, contemplation, if you do that regularly, you start to notice that your spiritual senses work a certain way. That's kind of neat, comforting. My own experiences, though didn't produce a boat, have comforted me, have given me insights, have predicted the future at times, have warned me. These have come in the sense of feelings, audible voices, knowing, pictures in my mind, a whole range of things. And as I focus more on practicing this routinely, daily, religiously, I find I'm more in tune with what I believe is a veritable bombardment of information from beyond. But we are like the Facebook addict, the Twitter addict. We are perpetually dialed in to the cloud, be it the technological cloud or just the group clouds or the social interactions or the routines that have been planted into us by our cultures, our families, our social conditioning. And these things all take on a life of their own. And their ends and their goals are not always benevolent. So if you're driven by the anxiety of the world, if you're addicted to updates and posts, if you have a Pavlovian reaction to a ding on your phone, it's time to step away. We don't talk a lot in our community about the great tradition of stepping away, the power of solitude, Chapter 4, though, of Matthew is, however, the story of Jesus stepping away, fasting, being tempted alone on the mount, facing Satan, who tried to trigger him in all sorts of ways and manners that typically entice a human being to do something against their better judgment. What does that sound like? That sure sounds like the machinations of Facebook to keep you addicted, that sounds like the strategic plan of Twitter to keep you going on the platform, to turn over all of your personal data to them. That sounds like the anxieties, the pressures and the stresses that you're inculcated with by your conditioning, by the expectation of your parents, your schooling. All these enticements are described at a very high level and are summarized in chapter 4 of Matthew. Satan offering Jesus wealth, Satan offering Jesus social status, Satan tempting Jesus to evoke the magic of God to save him should he throw himself down from the mount. These are summaries. It's a high-level 
extrapolation being written by Matthew in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. He's not going through every single iteration of these things that one can witness during one's lifetime when you face the collective clouds of life. May I understand that? It's a high-level summarization, and I'm extrapolating. But by extrapolation, you can see that this is what is being offered to us by executives at Facebook and Twitter and other social media, offered to us by these third-party beings that feed off the collective energies of our souls. And when you start to think of it this way, it raises all sorts of questions in your mind about what actually is satanic, what is evil. And I can't give you an exhaustive list. I can't give you a comprehensive definition. First of all, I'm not smart enough. But I think we grossly undersell evil when we talk about the caricatures of a, of a guy in a red suit with horns who's trying to trick you into stealing money from the candy store. Though that is evil too, it's just not a very clever evil. Clever, subtle evil requires you to be unaware, unconscious, requires you to turn over your independence in some way to someone or something else to drive you according to their agenda. That kind of siphoning off of your energy and your agency is evil indeed. And Jesus faced this choice on the mount, lured by promises of status, wealth, tempted by Satan to prove how macho he was, how important he was. There was this vibe, this cloud, pulsating between them, tempting Jesus on an egoic level to react impulsively, not unlike the cloud that existed between the grandmother and her grandson, not unlike the vibe that was existing at the camp of Lehi and Nephi, Laman and Lemuel. And had Jesus slipped into a state of being unaware, of being unconscious, of turning over his agency impulsively, reactively, evil would have won the day. But that's not what happened. Jesus pulled back, away from the cloud, retreated into an even deeper solitude. And there was nothing left for Satan to do but leave. And what happened next for Jesus is what happens for all of us, I think, when we take time to turn inward, to look upward, to try to connect to the being above and beyond, more full of light and grace and love than anything in this sphere. What happened next for Jesus and can happen for all of us is angels appear and minister. When we have those experiences on the proverbial mount, we come down from the mount with a new set of plans for a boat of curious workmanship to lead, to inspire to take a great journey, we're inspired to do something or be something that's greater, brighter than anything the collective clouds that seem to suck down our energy can ever produce. None of it happens without us being aware of it. None of it happens without us unplugging and withdrawing and practicing, hearing Messages, receiving guidance, getting energized from beyond. Likewise, if you can break out of Dasman, of the worldwide interweb, of the habitual traps that you experience when you're interacting with people of your family, people at the office, if you can break away a little bit, a little bit of time every day, you'll realize there's a more benevolent, kind, loving being, more full of light, towards which you can train your attention, your awareness, you can channel your consciousness so that you won't get tripped up by the enticements 
that are happening all around you all the time. This is a higher level of living. This is spiritual graduate school. These are lessons not readily taught, certainly not easily taught in the general conferences of the world, in your Sunday school classes. And you may say, well, why don't they teach us this? This is way more interesting, Jack, than what I'm getting. All they're telling me to do is to not drink, to pay my tithing, to do all the things on the checklist. Well, I think there's a reason for all those things, a divine reason. All that stuff is the wax on, wax off, daniel son. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but you'll remember from the epic cinematic masterpiece, The Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio, that Mr. Miyagi told daniel son when daniel son was seeking to become a great martial arts master, Mr. Miyagi just told him to go and wax his car. Remember that? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on. Danielson got ticked one day after doing this for a week, and he went up to Mr. Miyagi, started yelling at him, and Mr. Miyagi generously demonstrated why he wanted Danielson to wax his car, wax on, wax off, mimic the movements of the great martial artist in defending himself from attackers. And so it is with us. If you're an alcoholic, you are not going to spend much time in the mountain receiving plans for the ship of curious workmanship. That's not going to happen. You got to stop being an alcoholic first. If you can't control your most rudimentary and basic impulses, you probably aren't sensitive enough to distinguish between the voice of your ego and the voice of God. And by the way, ours is not the only tradition with a bunch of rudimentary basic rules with a moral code that you got to master before you go to a higher level. They all require a form of moral purity, they being all efficacious faith traditions, efficacious spiritual traditions. They all require some form of moral purity. They all require honesty. They all require fidelity. They all require sacrificing and contributing part of one's means, incomes, blessings to the group in the form of tithing, rice, labor. None of it is all that novel or unique, nor is any of it an end unto itself. It's a preliminary step. It's all the proverbial waxing on and waxing off. It all helps you become more aware of how you perceive all the data and information that God and the angels and the powers that be are raining down on this earth. Now, I want to state explicitly that it's my firm belief and my experience, by the way, that God loves you as you are where you are. You are complete. I believe that. And you can turn to God and you can start. You can unplug any time and miracles can happen and worthiness is not a precondition. But at the same time, consistent spiritual performance, consistent spiritual growth over a long period of time does require effort, routine, structure. It requires purity. If for no other reason, then you realize how detrimental, manipulative, cruel, all the forces that aren't God can be. So take time, unplug, go up to the mountain from time to time. More than from time to time. Go up to the mountain every day. 
Spend a certain amount of time thinking, contemplating, praying, meditating, considering the words that were written through inspiration, that were given by revelation, that came from beyond, and begin to appreciate the difference between the energy of Dasman and the energy of God. Learn to tell the difference between an enticement and love. Learn to tell the difference between something that's addictive and something that's powerful. Well, I've gone on far too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. If you'd like to come on Mormon Awakenings and share your Mormon Awakening experience, please do contact me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or contact me at Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Until next time.